Hello and welcome back to Cibolo Creek Conversations. You are listening to part two of Paul and Wyatt's conversation with Kristen Burford about her story with ministry and where we get into the topic of women in ministry. So if you haven't listened to part one, I suggest that you do that. But regardless, enjoy the episode. If you understand head, I think, you know, so often in a lot of these verses, head and authority become the the issue, the problem. And if head, so much of it then becomes clearer when you understand head as the life source as opposed to the hierarchy. Does that go, is that the same when discussing about Christ as the head of the church and each member having a different like part of the body, that same thing? Yeah, absolutely. He's the life source of the the church, capital C, uh-huh. right? And each each part of his body has a role and a responsibility. Yeah, so it's interesting, this word uh, head. Again, in my understanding and research, the word head, the Greek word that's translated head, that we get the concept of headship, um, if I remember correctly, it has like 25 different uses okay so it's all over the map and basically a um a group of theologians and scholars of the 25 they've adopted one we think that it means this in these passages so we're going to go with this interpretation then there's another group of scholars and they go well I actually think it means this in these contexts and in this passage. So I'm going to execute from my understanding of it as the source rather than hierarchy or sovereignty. And so it's, I'll just tell you honestly, it's been some of that confusion or some of that flexibility in how scholars understand the use of the word head that I felt the permission to choose one that made the best sense to me and mm-hmm. then execute from it. So I take more of the source perspective in what headship is all about. And therefore, it's comfortable for me to then extrapolate what that means as when it, when it comes to bear on women in ministry is that women are free and empowered to serve to the fullest capacity of their gifts and their temperament and their capacities um, on behalf of our church within the source of how the body of Christ works at Sibylla And we don't have a single woman serving who's usurping authority over men in our church. We have male and female elders. We have male and female pastors. None of them are over and above a man, the women who serve as elders and as pastors. None of them serve over and above a man in authority. They serve from the authority that we have established together in the leadership community of Civil Creek, which includes men. And so there isn't this, this, isn't this kind of authoritarian women-in-charge spirit at Civil Creek. It's, no, we're in leadership together and mutually we submit and share each other's input in how we go about directing the life of our church and in determining 
decisions and priorities and strate- strategies. I almost said strategies. <laughs> <laughs> strategies. That's the input of both men and women in life of our church. So I, I, that whole fear of whatever First Timothy 2 is about is, you know, I don't want women having authority over men. It doesn't happen at Sybil. There's no place for it to happen. Is whatever um, leadership Kristen has over a male leader in the life of one of our ministries, it comes from her larger context of being within the company of men and women in the life of our church. So it's not like she's independently running with the authority because she's a pastor. She does that in the context of the larger leadership community of our church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, So I, I, I... There's, there's a lot it's of all over the place. There's a lot of different thing. things, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I guess I guess I'll answer. Uh, I, I'm going to ask this again. But is do you believe that there's a hierarchy that exists between the church and Christ? I'm not sure what you mean by a hierarchy. The church submits to Christ, and Christ leads and loves the church. And he's a servant to the Christ followers. I mean, he's given, right? So that's a mutual submission. So I don't, I don't, he is the life source (laughs) of our, of our church. Um, But I'm not sure there's a high, I wouldn't call it a hierarchy necessarily. He Um. is head he is the life source. He is who we look to for everything. Um, but he also positioned himself as a servant yeah. in the way that he uh, lives that out. Or Which I guess, I mean, but I mean, leaders have always been described as leaders don't yell from the back. They lead from the front, right? That's what a mm-hmm. good leader is, which is yeah. exactly what Christ was doing. It doesn't make him any less the leader of the church. Like if he no. came back, nobody would be confused on, well, where do we go? Yeah, the the only the only response I would have to is Christ the hierarchical head of the church. Yes, because he's declared to be a king. Yeah. And I'm comfortable with that. But men are not declared to be the king. So once you break through sort of the big chasm between the difference between God and men. So God is a king, Christ is a king. He sits on a throne. He will rule. He's the king of heaven and earth. I'm very comfortable with that because he has all the credentials and experience to do it. Well, now we're talking about an enormous chasm between us and him. And there's no place that I as man am established to be Lord or king. So for me to even assume that kind of posture in any capacity in my life as, at, at home as husband or my life as leader of this church, for me to see myself as king and therefore I am the ultimate authority and I can just sort of you know demand and, and dismiss as I see fit, it doesn't even fit. I, I, I'm not capable of that. that. That would be nothing but corrupt. And so this idea that the man is in charge and he's the boss and he's the king, it, it doesn't fit. It doesn't. There isn't a place in Scripture where you would find that. Certainly not in 
an affirmative, redemptive community kind of way. But I'm comfortable letting Christ be king. Yeah. So in hierarchy of my submission to a king, then yeah, Christ, Christ the king of the church. And I submit to that, one, because he is the king. But that king leads out of love and leads from a place of sacrifice and leads from a place of humility because that's the character of Christ. And he's easy to submit to. And I think that in redemptive community, and I think this is what we see in Ephesians chapter 5, you know, there's two verses, I think it's two verses assigned to the, the, the instructions to women. There's like seven verses assigned to the instruction of men, but where do we do all the talking? We do all the talking about the two verses for women. But because the husband's instructed to love like Christ and he's to meet her needs and he's to provide for her. Well, if you have a loving husband who's leading like that, there's not a woman in the world who wouldn't find issue of having a problem to submit to that. Yeah. She would she would genuinely rest in that kind of loving self-sacrificial leadership. So the problem is that all too often we're talking about husbands who can be jerks and then women are demanded to submit to them. And it just, it doesn't fit the passage. It doesn't fit the example of Christ. So no. going back to your original question, I got a little off there, but going back, I have no problem submitting to Christ because he is rightfully a king of the universe. Mm -hmm. But I've never been, there's not a passage in scripture that allocates to men the credential of king. No. He's, he's leader. He's loving leader lead like Christ in that, and then that provides direction and love for the home and for the church. Okay, so the, what you just said there was essentially, I guess my point is that he's supposed to be a leader like Christ and to lead and provide direction to the home and the church. That, I think, is where we get like, I, I like I think that the scriptures more clearly say that than they do any of the perverse way of hierarchical power or to submit to a buffoon like the Christ like the woman being in partnership with the with the husband or the wife with the husband they are in partnership and so if he's being a buffoon to respect him is to not to go along with his buffoonness his ridiculousness buffoonery. right buffoonery. like you, yes. that's not respecting someone by allowing them to be a fool no, that's that's where her God-given role of helper comes in. Is hey, yes. babe, you're being a buffoon, and, yeah. isn't, and speak into that. Isn't somewhat and correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but those verses speak to our fallen proclivity. So, man's fallen proclivity, male, is to be a, an authoritarian, right? And my female proclivity is to try and take over and not be respectful. And so those verses speak to the things that are our issues, plus the issues they were having in the church in, in those days yes. because of that fallenness. So it isn't that those were being called out as finite things. They were things that is our natural human fallen proclivity. So it, it just changes the lens a little bit. I'm going to be drawn to do things um, because I am living as the human existence, a fallen existence as a female. 
you, Wyatt, as a male, fallen male, are going to have a proclivity to a particular way of how you were created. Yeah. And these verses are saying, don't be that. Yeah. Don't do that. That's why there's some for men and some for women. And both of those have to be aware of their fallenness in order for that mutual submission to look like it did in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And that is why Kristen is one of our pastors. Because that's good <laughs> stuff. And she nailed it. That's, that's no. exactly, that's the heartbeat of redemptive community is that we're, we're fallen and sin has corrupted. But through the power of the gospel and the design of Christ, through the authority of scriptures, these things can be restored to the way that God intended them. And marriage can be this beautiful pr- picture of Mutual submission where a husband lovingly provides, sacrificially protects his wife and her well-being, and she very mutually mutually respects and um, um, surrenders, if you will, herself and her you know her tendency to this beautiful portrayal of Christ. And when it when it works, it's almost like it's the way God created it to be. And I think that's, I think that can be how the church as a whole works, is that women can be released and empowered for ministry in all of its expressions, not, you know, not assigned to these little pockets, but released and empowered to all the different expressions of her gifts and her personality and her capabilities, all within mutual submission that we're all just serving Christ and his church to the best of our ability without any competition, without any stereotypical gender, you know, proclivities as Kristen was describing it. We, we, we can, we can live in a community without that stuff disrupting and disturbing everything. And if we spend time there, if we spend time in who's in charge Who's the authority? Who's the, um, who's the boss of me? If we spend time there, I think we then miss out on the blessing of what that mutual submission looks like. So the more we spend time in those things, arguing <laughs> or debating, however you want to say that, the hierarchy issue the less our focus is on owning the things as a male, as a female, that we need to work on ourselves. We bow up on both sides of that argument and don't take ownership of the things that I have proclivity towards as a woman or men have proclivity towards. We're too busy um, concerning ourselves with the argument of hierarchy. That's why I, I bristle at that word, just not because it's a battle of who's in charge or um, who gets to do what or roles or any of that. It's, I, I don't think we get to feel the fulfillment of what that can really be like when it's wonderful mm-hmm. if we're constantly having the debate. That's why, you know, when Paul started out saying you can put a hundred people in a room and they're going to come out 50-50 on women in ministry or women teaching or however you want to define that. And 
Should those conversations continue? Absolutely, because it's in the conversation that we learn things. But should we continuously hold that up as a uh, divider? No. No, we shouldn't. Because it isn't a determinant factor on what the church can look like, what marriage can look like, if both husband and wife, if the church is mutually submitting to each other, we can't experience that if we're constantly dividing each other about the topic. I, I agree with you. And I agree, Paul, with what you said. Um, I think that maybe why I consider this question to be so important right now is because um, with, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying any of this is negative, but with even women coming into the workplace and being and, and being able now it doesn't even matter being able to vote doesn't matter to me that's not pertinent to this discussion but coming into the workplace and becoming more and more independent which i think is a good thing in across the board women becoming independent it has caused confusion on the role of not only husband and wife but also man and woman in general in society to the point to where now there are men be saying they're women and women been saying that they're men. And so that confusion is drastic. Marriages, uh, how, what is the divorce rate? Over 50%. Mm -hmm. So there's an issue with the role of men and women. And, um, and I think that what you said about the proclivities, um, men for a good, some men for a good chunk of, human history and then maybe more and more as time got closer but like have become were too authoritative and now you're kind of seeing maybe that like the scriptures say and like you were saying christian women trying to subvert and and now get on top and so there's this confusing aspect and if it's true that we are i think even biologically and spiritually and mentally set up different than each other there are certain roles and the problem comes down to whenever we don't like our role, I think. We want the other one. And then there's a conflict there that arises, and yes. then the confusion occurs, and down this road you go, and now you get almost no nuclear families and all of this stuff. It's not a new... It's not a... This is just happening today. No. Uh -uh. <laughs> so that's since the dawn of time, and it is broken people broken world, fallen non-Christ followers versus Christ followers. There's two different, there's two different pathways. So a, a non-Christ follower isn't going to operate under a, a God-given design or a mutual submission or any of those things. And um, we can't have an expectation that they should or they will if they don't know who Christ is. And unfortunately, um, the church hasn't always done a great job of um, welcoming those, uh, those folks in who are confused about those things. And so we become, uh, we have the inability to have the conversation and even have them meet Christ when we don't do a good job of... Um, of building a place of trust where we can have those conversations of why God designed male and female in a certain way and what that means for 
families and churches and the way that you the way that you do life. But that's not new to today. <laughs> no, what that is, it's it's just the it's just the backwash. I mean, everything you described is the backwash of a culture and a society that's pushed God out and refuses to submit to God's design. And so you have all of the confusion and you have the corruption of how we understand ourselves and how we understand each other and how we understand marriage. And it's just, it's, it is a portrait of what a world looks like without God. And the whole time, God's inviting us to his design. You and I, we talk a lot about design. It's one of my, you know, anchors of how I go about looking at life in Scripture. And so God has this design, and what's the whole, the whole invitation? Will you trust me? I created this life. Mm-hmm. Trust me in my design, and you will experience a pleasure and a fulfillment, and a satisfaction, and a meaning, and a purpose that is unparalleled. But you're looking at a world that pushes God out. We don't want to do it his way, and so we're left with the mess. And again, the church is to be a place where that could be all made right again. Unfortunately, like Kristen said, we haven't always done a great job of engaging those people, but then the church hasn't always done a good job of modeling what the wonderful, blessed life of people living in faith to God's design looks like. And so we end up acting more like the world, valuing more like the world, behaving, you know, doing our lives more like people without Christ. And then it shouldn't surprise us that the church is a really lousy example of what God's design could be. But it's amazing when you see those rare examples of people living by faith, God said this, so we're going to live our lives this way. And you watch their lives be characterized by things like peace and fulfillment and meaning and hope because that's what comes with the design. What did you mean whenever you said that the husband should sacrificially love and lead and provide direction to the family? Because that sounds like a leader to me. That is a leader. Okay, and that... I guess I'll throw out the word hierarchy if y'all want. <laughs> but to me, a leader seems like the top of something whenever it comes to that. If well, Again, if they're doing it lovingly. Let's change the word. Uh, let's change it from hierarchy to influence. Okay. Okay. He's, if he's a good example of Jesus in his sac- self-sacrificing love, he's just having profound influence. He's, he's, he becomes a key influencer in the life of his home. That's not to say that the, the wife can't also be a key influencer in the life of her home to her kids and to her husband. Yeah. Uh, his life becomes enriched by her sacrificial, humble expression of Jesus in their home. And then that's great modeling for kids to learn what it is to live like Christ. So I don't, I don't, it doesn't have to be hierarchy for me. It has to be influence in my mind mm-hmm. and a husband who's growing in Christ and doing well at his best attempts to follow Jesus. He becomes a really positive, powerful influence in the lives of the people that he's to steward, and that is his wife and his kids. Yeah. 
And I that, agree. That doesn't take anything away from her. No, by no means. I agree with you 100%. And it does um, say care for your wife and yeah. your family as you as he would his own body. Yes. As as he would his own body. Yeah. So it's it is that Which is I think I think again pointing back to the figure of a body with head and body. Life right? source or yeah. is head sovereignty or is head life source. I think it's the thing that points the Body. Is source is head sovereignty or is head source? It directs the body, I think, or leads and sacrificially directs the body, as it Paul influences. would say. Yes. Influences. Dancing <laughs> around the yeah, word, but, but fine, I won't use it. Here's the thing: if, if you focus on if you focus on the lead and hierarchy part of that, this is where I think we go astray. Is if you focus on that. There's less focus on the self-sacrifice yes, part of that, I, I your agree. own yeah. body part of that. We've been really good as the Western church about talking about leaders <laughs> yep. and leadership and all things uh, leaders, right? And I heard somebody say one time, we need more servant conferences instead yes. of leadership conferences. Yeah, so <laughs> but that, that's the problem. Yeah, so that's interesting. So, in the, I, you know, I started being a pastor. I became a pastor in the early 90s. And at the time, the early 90s was this huge movement across America for church conferences. There were small group, group conferences and leadership conferences, worship conferences, and church growth conferences. And I, as a young pastor, I went to a lot of those conferences. And naturally, because of a number of different influences, I went toward the leadership conferences because I wanted to be a pastor and I wanted to be a good leader. And man, and I, I won't mention any names, but the predominant or prevailing definition of leader became type A, driven, intense, hard-driving CEO type. And that the church needed to be led. And I would come home for those conferences just beat up. And after so many years, I actually came to a place to say, I can't afford to go to those conferences anymore. Because of the destruction they do to my soul. Mm -hmm. And the part that I always felt like was missing was, what about shepherding? The New Testament seems to talk a lot about shepherding the flock not leading and driving it, it's shepherding the flock. And I was just like, there's such an intensity to the leadership discussion, and it was all about hierarchy, and it was all about bossing, and it was, you know, this just whole driven kind of thing. And I was like, God, I, I don't think that's how I'm wired. I, and I just felt this longing for something, some language, some conference, like the shepherding conference. Can we just get back loving people well and leading in the sense of influence from character and um, from conduct rather than from position or title. And I, I think if I look at the New Testament and how um, leaders were selected, take Titus, what, Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, they weren't, they weren't assigned those roles as pastor or bishop whatever um, word you're going to use there, they want to assign those roles in t based on gender or power. All of the discussions are about character. What kind of person were they? 
And so the New Testament church was selecting its pastors based on the kind of people they were, not the type of people they were. First Titus does use gendered language, but it first might have just Titus, been general. No or no not First Titus, Titus, Titus 1. <laughs> now, I, now I sound stupid, but it does use gendered language. Just now? Yeah, this entire so, time. So tell me the gendered language. Titus 1, 69. I'm not saying, and again, it could be broad in the whole man thing, um, but I mean, it speaks about the husband of one wife. That's the main one that isn't just he. Yes, and it um, says if a man aspires to the office of a bishop, that's First Timothy three. But is that cultural, or is that for all of time? If it, so, so, that's where you get into. That's a slippery slope. Okay, but and so yeah. I'm saying you line up fifty scholars. <laughs> they're coming. They're going to come from all different angles, and they're going to say, "Well, the likelihood of a woman even aspiring in that particular cultural context at that time." was basically nil. There was no way. Okay, so would he have even said, if a woman aspires to the office of a bishop, would he have even said that in the first century in Ephesus? Likely not. Well, and the same thing with homosexuality. That conversation's occurring today. Yes, but there is no... Uh, debate in God's language regarding sexual immorality. That's not a cultural kind of thing. That is a moral, ethical thing based in the very fabric of God's nature of holiness. So um, I don't see them as one and the same. Um, you know, it's interesting that the discussion of slavery in the New Testament, you don't see prohibition against it. In fact, it speaks basically to guide slaves on how they were to behave mm -hmm. within the context because it was a it was a cultural thing and um, there there it wasn't going to go away. There, there it wasn't some big political fight to stamp out slavery. It was slaves as Christians. Here's how you are to behave in light of your standing in in society. Well, our world has changed, and fortunately, slavery is not a thing, okay? So some things culturally change, and then the church can, can behave within the context of what those changes. And then some things are fixed for all of time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that because you line up those 50 scholars, there's all sorts of different you know, conversations about you know, 1 Timothy um, three and Titus one about you know the office of a pastor and who can apply for that or aspire to it, and I go there's enough confusion there's enough flexibility in how people understand. I took a position I decided something and I worked from there and said you know what in the context of our church and I only think in terms of our church because it's the one I've been asked to steward. Yeah, I'm saying here at Sybil Creek. We're going to go on the great adventure of redemptive community and women in our midst who have the spiritual gifts and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual maturity to handle the role of loving and leading our people well. We're going to empower them to serve as pastors in our midst. And it is an experiment. I'm very comfortable saying that. Yeah. And um, so far, the experiment has worked really, really well. I think we have benefited from our understanding of how women fit into the, the larger picture of the church as a redemptive community. And I know 
for me personally, both as a person and as a pastor, I have benefited greatly from that freedom, that empowerment, and that presence of the woman and how God created her to be. It certainly benefits the church. I think Galatians 3.28, pointing very clearly to those things that he spells out, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. In Christ, there's no racial discrimination. There's no difference in rank. There's no slave or free. There's no sex differentiation. We are all one, and we should behave in that. And it it just goes right back to what Paul said about love and unity. That's very clear. Yeah, so, you know, you and I have discussed this before, uh, I think on this podcast, why it is, you know, Galatians 3 is my my pivotal passage in my understanding of redemptive community because it it destructs, destroys um, the whole racism, classism, and, you know, uh, gender stereotypes. And so it's not when it says no male, no female, it's not saying... Um, they just become this obscure one. No, we are prizing everything about men, and we are prizing everything about women. We celebrate and we we recognize and we empower all that comes with who they are as male and female. But what we don't allow is the stereotypical brokenness of saying, well, we can't put a woman here because she's a woman. No, if she has the gifts and the spirit and the capacity for it, then Yes, she's as qualified for that position as anybody else. So uh, uh, Galatians 3 isn't about obscuring the lines of distinction. It's celebrating the distinction as people who reflect the image of God, but it's not allowing the brokenness of stereotypes to dominate how the church behaves. Yeah. Which, which is huge in the first century. And which is why I believe that some of the passages that we read, 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 11, there were some enormous cultural factors at play, particularly in the church at Ephesus, about women in that society that influences Paul's instructions to the early church about their behavior. But I don't know that that's prescriptive it's descriptive of what was happening in the first century it's not necessarily prescriptive for the church of the 21st century mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so i guess i'll ask one more question and we might need to do another one on this or we could i mean this could just keep going around and around so um but because i agree with what do you have something you want to say Chris? oh i just diving into some of those verses could be yeah. a good thing because there's some interesting um conversation around it and especially because um they were brought up in that q a there's obviously some interest in it so just a thought yeah i agree and so i guess i'll ask this um because i i am i am concerned because of all the confusion going around going on i think even christ society in society but also in the church like yeah well because the church is influenced by society uh, with all the confusion going on, I'm just concerned that um, like I'm going to speak. I'm concerned with men because I am one and I witness it. Um, with them not taking their responsibility uh, and not 
um, answering the call to lovingly and sacrificially lead and provide direction to yeah. his family. Um, so how can we speak about his position to lead and provide direction or influence, whichever one we're most comfortable with using, um, in a way that, one, we like without at all saying that, I guess, I don't know how many. I don't know how we can say that without it implying that he's the leader of the family for some reason. But I mean, we need to explain what that is. But I guess, how can we talk about that in that way? But then also, if that exists, that design for the family, the church is also spoken like as a family. Mm-hmm. Does it parallel, or is it a different set design no. thing? You know, it's been kind of fun, this whole conversation, is watching Wyatt's squirm. (laughs) I thought you and I were going to be the ones who were squirming, but Wyatt trying to pose the question. I'm trying to (laughs) – if I could say the word hierarchy without the negative connotations, it'd be so much easier. Yeah, so use the word influence. Yes, I'll use the word influence. (laughs) I know why hierarchy is looked down. So if I understand what you're trying to ask, and and you did, but – I th- what I heard was saying, how can I talk about calling men to their place of influence yeah. without it sounding hierarchical or dismissive of women or you know, yeah. some be the leader of, of your family? Well, that's without... just calling them to the image of God. Okay, be the man God created you to be. It's so fascinating, Genesis chapter two, which again plays into the discussion of how you understand First Timothy chapter two. Genesis chapter 2, the serpent seduces the woman to eat. I, what is it? Is chapter, um, I'm sorry, chapter 3, chapter... I, um, anyways, it says, and the woman ate, and then what? She gave to the man with her. So from my understanding, it sounds like he was right there. He, he was as seduced and deceived as she was, or, or if she was the one who was deceived, which is what 1 Timothy plays off of, what was he? He was apathetic. He was lazy. He was abdicating. What was he? He wasn't, he wasn't doing the leader thing. He wasn't being what the man was created to be to provide and protect. Honey, don't listen to him. He, he, no, he was there with her, and he ate. And then he blamed her and then also blamed God. Okay, so it was so quick, yes, right? The fall was so quick. <laughs> and what are men really good at? Blaming other people for their own failures. Okay? So that's why I'm not going to ever say, well, women are more likely to be deceived, so they shouldn't be given positions of influence. I go, well, no. then what are men more likely, as illustrated by Adam in Genesis chapter 3, what are, what are men more likely to? What's their, you know, eternal glitch? Blame. So do I want to put them in positions of leadership with what his example set? Oh, like maybe there is a solution is that God gave the woman to help with his failings, just in the way that he could help her with her failings, mm-hmm. okay? So... I'm just calling men to be who God created you to be, strong and protective and be a provider and be a person of integrity. And that has nothing to do with 
It, that says nothing about women. Just, just rise up and be the man that God created you to be. Be who Christ is supposed to be when he's formed in you. And then mm-hmm. I, can, I can call women to the same thing. Be who you're supposed to be as a woman in whom Christ is fully formed. And then what the distinctions that fall out are not based on gender. The distinctions are falling out around personality and temperament and giftedness and character. Yeah. I would say that personality and temperament are largely determined by gender, but yes. At least proclivities of man and woman. So whatever... The feminine personality yes. is be that. There it is. Yeah. Embrace it. Go for it. Be all of it. But I say that to men. Whatever that yeah. male personality is intended to be, don't let a culture, first of all, don't let a culture squelch it or confuse it. Know what it is and then go for it. Of what, Go for it in terms of what Christ looks like fully formed in a man and how God created a man to be. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You have anything you want to add on to that? And I have the latter half of my question. Good? Then the last part of that is, okay, so there's that design in the family. Without using the word hierarchy, <laughs> does it does it move over to the church? It was where I think people would... I think that of all any argument for any type of uh, uh, distinguishing is, is it's from the family because the family is just a or the church just a more abstract version of the family and so on and so forth, I think. So does that set of uh, influence rankings move over to the church as well? Yes. Okay. Okay, so... <laughs> so, so confused. So there's kingdom of God. Within the kingdom of God is church. Yeah. Within church is family. God has a design for all three of them, mm-hmm. has purpose and meaning for all three of them. And I think that that's why, that's why in Ephesians 5, marriage is a picture of the church. We learn something in the context of marriage that is supposed to be true of the family of God, the body of Christ, the church. And so, yes, there's all sorts of parallels between what God designed for the family to be how the church was to work. But it doesn't have to be about hierarchy. It can be about influence. Okay. So in the church, individuals have influence. And some people have a greater influence based not on their gender. They have a greater influence based on their character and how they live out the person of Christ in them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for 25 years, I've asked people not to call me pastor. Some people do, and I live with it. I don't you know, mix it up with them over it. But I've never seen myself as something different. I'm just another member of the body of Christ at Cibolo Creek. Yep. This isn't my church. This is our church. And I've I've done my very best to never let my title be something I leverage. Yep. I'm just Paul. I'm a Christ follower. I have certain gifts, and I have some experiences that may be different from other members of the body of Christ. So in my giftedness, I have a gift for teaching. In my experience, I have a theological training. So as a member of the body of Christ, I am permitted a microphone and a platform on a Sunday morning 
to teach. But that's not because I'm male. That's because of my giftedness and my experience within the context of the body of Christ. There's other things in the body of Christ I shouldn't get anywhere near because I don't have the gift for it. I don't have the experience for it. But somebody else rises up in the body of Christ and takes care of those things. And in our situation, one of them happens to be a female because she's so good at administration. She's so good at leading the structure and the progress and the, the accountability of our congregation and our staff against you know, certain priorities. And so um, that's not because of gender. That's because of her gifts. That's because of her capacity. And it's because of her experience. She comes out of a, a broad experience in a you know professional marketplace that serves our church really well. And I think that's the beauty of the body of Christ, is it's not based on you don't you don't get assigned your, your roles and responsibility based on gender. Mm-hmm. And Paul's perspective on that is one of the reasons why Doug and I remain here. And I think we're seeing the effects of um, when humanness takes over in that role as senior pastor and suddenly the platform becomes the thing or they become the be-all, end-all leader, they displace Christ as the head of the body, Mm -hmm. which is the church. And when you... When you make yourself more than that, that's, that's when we see all these things happening as our humanness, that proclivity to be the ruler, to be the king, <laughs> to be the hierarchy, uh, the top dog on the hierarchy, it supplants Christ's position as the head of the body in our, in our culture. Yeah. That's why that, you know, celebrity pastorship world is crumbling before our eyes because yeah, it's goodness. not healthy. It's yeah. not healthy. It's not the way he set it up scripturally. Mm-mm. That's why I said earlier, if we are so focused on who's the authority, who's the, who's the king, <laughs> whether it's church or family, who's the ruler, then we miss the beauty of how the church is actually supposed to work, how a family's actually supposed to work with Christ as the source yeah. of that. Yeah. It's just easy for us as humans to try and become the source, male or female. When when women do that as well. When women try to become the source of the family or women try to become the head of the church or the, you know the source of the church, then we then also are taking away Christ as the head of the body, the mm-hmm. church, and mm-hmm. Christ as head of the family. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take a classic passage from the Gospels. Jesus is saying to his disciples, look around, guys. Look at society, and it has its leaders. And what what's typical of the leaders of society? They like to usurp authority yeah. to be in charge and to dominate people. But he says... Not so with you, for the greatest in the kingdom of heaven will be a servant of all. And so Christ is the perfect example of how to have influence from a position of servanthood. So if then that is 
the ultimate example. He's saying you can't be one of my disciples unless you're a servant. Then a, every pastor in America, every pastor in the world, has to ask themselves, am I looking for leadership in terms of hierarchical influence and dominance? Or am I looking at leadership from a perspective of servanthood? Well, that changes the game. That changes how you speak in meetings. That changes how you, um, at what part you play in decision-making. That changes in how you go about the priorities of your job from day to day. And so that's always been, you know, of real interest to me is how can I be a leader who leads from the weight of my influence as an example of what Christ looks like rather than I'm the senior pastor, therefore I can throw my weight around and boss people around and, and make everybody jump because that's not, that's not Jesus. No, that's just tyranny. Right. Um, that's but Kristen and I, having come from similar church backgrounds, that was very much yeah. a model that was predominant in our day. Yeah. Was the tyranny, the, the, the head honcho boss kind of, you know, leader. And it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the uh, design of God. It doesn't fit the example of Christ, and I don't think it fits the instructions of the New Testament. Yeah, at all. Yeah, I agree. What a fascinating uh, discussion! And there's so much more. There's <laughs> like so much more. We could probably do parts two, three, four, yeah. and five. You'll have to break yeah. this one up, anyways. Yeah, I mean. I think half of this was just me realizing that hierarchy is a naughty word <laughs> and that I had to guise it in something else to get you all to be okay with what I was trying to say. Uh, we were know. saying the same thing. I used the word hierarchy, and we all of a sudden disagreed. And I was like, oh. Yeah, because uh, well, I'm some... with Kristen. I don't know how you say hierarchy that it doesn't sound like Submission someone, someone's instead. on top well, we're supposed to someone underneath it. that. Yeah. But what... We could just get started again For on the sure. whole conversation. But I think it's a, you know, maybe we can do a second one at some time because I know that there's deeper questions about those verses that mm -hmm. get pulled out of this discussion. So it's this discussion that's really sort of the foundation for how those verses are used as um, out of context or incorrectly yeah or misguided yeah and, and, we, and it matters the discussion matters the argument not so much yeah the I, discussion I, matters oh yeah because the, the i mean the discussion is the beautiful part of discovery um in discussion we draw out those things we're having a hard time comprehending or even you know describing that's the beauty of conversation so i was watching a a video discussion between uh, N.T. Wright and this other gentleman, and they were talking about the passage in First Timothy 2 and what it meant that a woman is to learn in quiet submission and all that. And it was interesting. So N.T. Wright would be one of those 50 scholars that you could line up. And he has some very interesting insights about Ephesus and about the cultural context historical context of first timothy which looks like it was written to the you know concerning the church of ephesus 
And he draws out some really interesting insights about why Paul would have to give those instructions to Timothy in regards to the church at Ephesus because of its unique religious cultural context. And it was so interesting to me, not, not only what he was saying, but watching the man that he was talking with. It was like you could see the light bulbs. And he, he actually had the humility to admit. He says, okay, so I've never known that. I've always read that passage from my understanding of like everything I've ever heard that just says, women, you can't do this without any appreciation for the cultural context of why Paul might have written that uniquely to the church at Ephesus. And I, I, think, I think that's often the case. People have grown up in denominations, and that denominational you know, influence has really fashioned how they look at Scripture, and they just read with all those assumptions that they've always heard without knowing that, hey, there's some interesting factors that have influence on why some of those things were written, and they are unique to the first century. That doesn't mean that there aren't some principles that we can learn from the first century that apply to the 21st. But I go back to the big question, and we see this a lot in Acts. Is it descriptive or is it prescriptive? And um, so much of what I think some of those clobber passages that people use to keep women in a certain place. Um, I think they're descriptive of what was unique to that culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so all I'm saying, and again, this is where we begin, I feel the freedom to make a choice and proceed from there. And I have no fear of standing before a holy and righteous God and giving an account for how I led this church based on what I feel is a freedom to have made a choice and moved from there. I I don't feel like God's going, oh, you went with source instead of sovereignty, and you got it all wrong. I don't don't fear that. There's other things I fear about standing before a holy God someday and giving an account, but it's not the position I've taken on women in the church and their, their role to be a pastor. Well, and it obviously, like, though I've been pushing back against y'all's opinion, like, I'm not bothered by it either, and I'm grateful and honored that you are one of, you know, one of my pastors, Kristen. And so, um, and my, and my, I guess, thing has much more to do with the spiritual influencer. Mm-hmm. Like that word better? Yeah, right. that was good. Now it's going to start sounding like social media. This is good. <laughs> this is what happens when you toss out the word hierarchy. We sound like we're talking about social media. Um, but uh, of the, of the Not home. Not to old guys so, like me. Yeah, yeah, it's true, unbeknownst, but but this was really good. Yeah, well, thank really you for creating the opportunity of, for us to have the conversation. I was telling Kristen, you know, don't don't get all you know uh, hyped up about this and feeling like you have to prepare to come into it. We're just going to have a conversation, and that, that's what I think is the beauty of this particular podcast is we're just talking about stuff. Yeah, we're not necessarily declaring right or wrong or good or bad, and um, so yeah, it'll be interesting. If for no other reason we have this conversation, we throw it out there in the public, and some people hear some things that 
get them thinking and rethinking some old or typical ways of how they think. If, if nothing else, we get that done, I think it's a good thing. Yep. Well, thank you for the invite. Yeah. It was fun. Thanks for joining. Hope we can continue the discussion at some point. Yeah. I enjoyed sparring with you both. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to say, I appreciate your questions because to be fair, your questions represent the questions that exist out there and exist for uh, your generation and um, as a soon to be married individual and your questions about your role as a husband so i appreciate your questions i hope you enjoyed today's episode don't forget that new episodes are released every wednesday if you'd like to listen to our sunday morning messages you can find those by searching cibolo creek messages and finally if you'd like to learn more about cibolo creek community church you can find us at cibolocreek.com thanks for listening